when I write songs, it's first for Redeemer. It's first for the people here. It's not for a broader audience. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Worship Review, the podcast which charitably and critically examines the songs that we sing in church, except today we are not critically and charitably examining a song that we all sing in church. We are interviewing one Nathan Partain, which is very exciting. And before I introduce Nathan, uh, I am Colin. I'm a history professor uh, in the great American Midwest, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Tyler. Tyler, you're somewhere. Where are you? I'm currently across the pond, as you might say, in an undisclosed location. Make it sound so sinister. I'm okay, though. That wasn't a cry for help. <laughs> <laughs> Blink three times, Tyler, if you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we are, we are also joined today by a guest, and that is Nathan Partain. Nathan leads Redeemer Indianapolis's musicians in arranging and writing music. You do a variety of things as well. Nathan, you're a musician as well. Uh, yeah. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm. I am a worship leader here in Indianapolis at, at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Um, yeah, I've been uh, writing and making music since I was like 13 or something like that. Uh, cut my teeth outside of the church. Uh, a child of the, somewhat a child of the 90s, or at least came of age in the 90s, and um, and then much to kind of my chagrin, I ended up being a part of worship in the church of all things and uh i I grew up in nashville tennessee uh, so i have a pretty good dose of cynicism about church and church music and all sorts of things like that that i'm still healing from and um and uh but it's informed the way that you know as the lord's brought me into the church has informed the way that i uh i guess the way that i kind of want to be a guardian of what happens at redeemer at least um so yeah i've got my beautiful wife sarah and three kids um Amos Flannery and Levi. So I've got a teenager, almost two, and almost two teenagers. So life is full and it's great. You spoke about Nashville, your your time in Nashville, almost as inevitably causing you some skepticism (laughs) or so. So what you have to tell, you have to say something about that, please. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Well, I think this was my experience of growing up in Nashville, which is there's. Um, I lived for a while in Seattle, and they would joke about how there was a Starbucks on every corner. And in Nashville, there's kind of a church on every corner. And, you know, that's your, that's your because I grew up there, I thought that, I thought that was normal. Um, and I think also in Nashville, and again, this is Nashville from 20-something years ago now, so I don't, I'm not trying to speak into where it is now. Um, but the predominant culture is a Christian culture. It's kind of understood. Everyone goes to church. It's, not, it's just a matter of what church you go to. Um, now, that doesn't mean that everyone actually loves Jesus. <laughs> um, that just means that that's like culturally what you do on Sundays. And so I think that, um, I think certainly as a kid, I just saw that as being fake. And um, and then with Christian music industry there, uh, it, the cynicism with church music, I, it, I, you know, I listen to, oh man, like uh, U2 and Nirvana and the Pixies and all these other bands. And I would hear stuff on the radio and then I hear stuff on Christian radio. I'm like, wow, that's a... Christian commercial version of better music of music that's done better in different places. So why would I choose that? So 
uh, lots of I went to church at a church. I'm not going to say the church, maybe, but I went to church at a church where a lot of uh, a, 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 a lot of um, like Christian music stars went. Um, you weren't were in Franklin, up. Tennessee, were you? I might have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so again, you know, uh, just kind of all that mixed together in one place. Uh, I, I think again, I. Some of that's also my own self-righteousness, and I think I see things clearer than I do and all that. So, like, as I am healing, I think, by God's grace, uh, from some of those sort of youthful judgments. But okay. um, it's something I carry with me, for sure. Um, it's part of my story and how I got here. I never lived in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm not saying you lived there, I suppose, but... Uh, <laughs> but I didn't but, live there, no. Okay, yeah, <laughs> once you started speaking about that, though, just from... So my father lived in Nashville for a little while and and uh, and had told me stories about Franklin and people who knew Franklin. And so just as you were talking, I was like, hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then you... But you mentioned Seattle, too. So I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally as well. Did you go to the Pacific Northwest then after Nashville? So you're listening to a lot of Seattle music and then thought, I'm going to go out to that part of the world and what, play some music? <laughs> well... Ironically, no. I, I, that's a much longer story that I'd love to share with you, but I'm afraid of my own rambling. Um, but uh, I, I hadn't. There was a point in time I did a very short professional music career from like 19 to 20, and um, after that was done, I really had nowhere in the world to be, and I didn't know what I should be doing. So I literally prayed about places that I should go, mm-hmm. and uh, Seattle was my third choice, and all the other ones, they were all of them were out west somewhere because I was enamored with the west. And uh, uh, Seattle ended up being the one. I had no idea why I was going there. Um, so the, that's well, that's also part of how the Lord got me kind of sucked into doing church ministry. And what were what was choice number one and two? Um, I wanted to go to uh, New Mexico or Arizona. Okay. I just I, I I had this sort of like romance with the uh, the Southwest and American desert and. I don't know. It's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. I, yeah. Nathan, I wanted to ask you about something else you mentioned during your introduction, because you mentioned the word guard. You said, I want to guard the worship at Redeemer. And I noticed in your bio on your church's website, you uh, at least your bio says he sees his job as guardian of the worship of God. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what that means to guard the worship. What are you guarding it from? Um, what are you guarding it for? Wow. Uh Wow. What a question. Um, I think most of all, I'm wanting it to be about Jesus. I'm wanting everything that we do to be um, exalting the work, the purposes of God. Um, The scriptures say that, you know, when everything is all done, it's all going to be done to the praise of his glorious grace. It's all going to have its culmination in like what God has done through the person of Jesus. And so I want to be careful with that our worship continues to for hopefully the years while I'm here, but hopefully for generations to continue to be about him, that that is the the culture of our worship and um, the high value. So there's, I'm going to try not to, like I said, I'm scared of my own rambling, but. Um, <laughs> You're welcome to ramble here. That, that's really what I mean. <laughs> Trust me, we are guilty of rambling once or twice uh, ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. But yeah, I think that's the main thing. There's all like there's all sorts of things, whether it's um, ego or whether it's uh, production or whether um, um, it's even just you know playing my favorite songs as opposed to playing what's actually needed. You know, th- th- all those sorts of things tend to be things that I I want to. And and for someone who is a cynic, feeling like I'm called to this specific you know time and place, um, 
I'm, I'm wanting to make sure that what we do in worship, hopefully, uh, comes from our actual heart, that it is sincere. It is, in truth, what we believe and think. So some of that works its way out in trying to keep what we're, what we're saying fresh, and are we actually really getting the beauty of what we're about here. So it can be positive direction and not just guarding. It can also be um, kind of making sure that everything's like on a human scale. This actually makes sense to us who are in here. Mm-hmm. What what exactly goes into that? So how does that play itself out practically? If you're trying to keep the worship about uh, God and uh, particularly about Christ's work, um, what does that mean on a, say on a Wednesday or something, if you've got practice coming up, um, <laughs> how do you, how do you ensure that? Or maybe I'm, am I thinking on the right level or is it more of a big picture thing? I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's certainly both. I'm trying to figure out how to get into the granular. So it's actually helpful. And, um, I, I think to one, to a certain degree, like our worship is, I, I grew up with worship being a portion of the service. So the first 20 minutes or the worship set or something like that is the worship. So like when I first became a Christian, like really following the Lord at 19, um, I would skip the worship, quote unquote, and uh, be there for the preaching, you know? And so I'm now in a tradition or at a church that the culture is different where the whole thing is seen as worship. And so that by itself already kind of puts what I do into a context. Um, so we have a, you know, a call to worship and, and, and a, 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 a first hymn that's more about God and doxological, um, and then we have confession and assurance of pardon and the elements of service that kind of take us through. The whole service has sort of a narrative of the gospel. We, we follow the arc of um, the glory of God and seeing ourselves and coming before him and then being through the gospel welcomed into his presence. So I think that already kind of sets for me on a Wednesday <laughs> um, as I'm picking songs and thinking about prayers that we're going to sing together. Um, it already puts them in this like uh, narrative of the gospel, a uh, need and God's rescue. So you've got kind of a symbiotic relationship between the songs and the liturgy itself to where it's not, you don't just shift abruptly from one to the other. I went to a church recently where um, they there was some singing up front and then there was a sermon. And then um, the worship leader up front said, okay, and now I'd like to invite you all for a time of worship here. And so we're going to play four or five songs. And I thought, um, this struck me as odd because I think I'm used to the whole service really being seen as a worship service and not mm-hmm. uh, the worship being limited to the music. Um, Nathan, could I ask, so I'm sure it's not, there's not like, uh, you know, faith informs everything that we do. And I'm sure that's the case with you too. But in addition to your role, as a worship leader at your church and a pastor, if I'm not mistaken, right? You are an elder at your church. Is that right? I'm an elder. Yep. That's yeah. Right. So you've got those hats that you're wearing, um, but you're also, I mean, you, you, you record albums. You, you, I mean, you, do you tour a bit as well and that sort of thing? Or, or you, have you not done that as much lately? No, I mean, not as much lately. I think the last time we did a, a tour was like, you know, three places uh, in 2017 on a weekend, but mostly I'm here. Yeah. But you're still writing and recording music, I take it, right? Yeah. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, how does that all work together? How does your faith, um, you've spoken a little bit about your role kind of in the church in a practical sense, but what about your work for the broader church, the music that you're writing and all that? How is your faith uh, uh, informing that 
and and the type of music that you're recording as an as an artist or a, as in the craft of writing songs i have very focused parameters uh, i so that's one thing we could talk about like the fact that i am writing songs specifically to talk about again the person and work of jesus and what that means for our lives in different situations and hopefully in a way that we can all join into if we're going to sing it together in a way that we can all join in and own um man i i can't i don't feel the freedom or, or i don't think anyone should necessarily feel like i can like well that's not it's kind of a vague lyric but i know what it means and move on i, I can't do that i could with my other music in fact and kind of the more open it is the more you bring your own interpretation to it mm-hmm. that's actually like smiled upon with most music and art is like don't you know don't tell me what this is about let me experience and i'll bring my story to it I, 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 not that I don't want people to bring their stories into worship with them and then have that enter into what they're singing, but I need to be very clear on on what my intent is and what we're talking about. And so that's a that's a tight niche <laughs> of of song lyric songwriting, and then musically, if we're going to sing it together, um, man, I, I'm not good at. Th- I've been I, I hope to be working on that till I die. It, it is hard to write something that is sounds fresh to me and yet is singable and simple um that is that's a so it's its own that's its own craft i guess uh as far as that goes that specific like what does it mean to uh, write songs for the church um as far as like then there's the so that's the artist crafts we could talk shop about that for a long time and have fun the other side would be just ministry and it took me a long time i have because i'd done music before for me it was really important that if I was going to write music for the church, which started in Seattle, um, th- that it was contextual, that it, it, it was first and foremost for the place where I was, where I, where I am. Um, and that has been a, a, like, it still is, is the, when I write songs, it's first for Redeemer. It's first for the people here. It's not for a broader audience. It, it, and it's not that I'm against that. It's just that, I, it, that it guards me on a lot of levels. Even as I'm writing a song, I'm not thinking about some faceless audience out there. I'm like, <laughs> I am kind of tethered to the faces and names that I know and singing it over them or with them or for them. Um, so for a long time, I said no to making records. I didn't want to do it. I was recording things. I would like mix things live and I'd put it on a podcast for people that were from Seattle or Nashville or friends or whatever, other worship leaders and say, hey, we're looking for new music. Maybe something would, would be great. But I want to stay away from that sort of promotional side for my own heart. Yeah, there's sure. nothing wrong with it. But um, it, so so all that's to say, um, I kind of got pushed over the edge by someone in our congregation who just kept. There were a few people that kept going like the broader church needs to know about this, and I'm like, do they? Well, I'm not sure they do. You know, um, and they finally like uh, had someone basically just fund a record and said, you're gonna, you know. I think they actually went through my wife and said, uh, here, go hand this check to Nathan and and tell him I want to know how the record goes, you know. Um, and I think through the Lord, <laughs> she's that, also a musician, right? Yes, yeah, she is. Yes, she, she sings and plays bass, and yeah, uh, sings with me a lot. We get to do that together. Um, yeah, so um, that kind of started me down. I felt like the Lord was kind of like, hey, you know. Don't resist me. If I want to do something broader with this than your little context, then like let me do that. And <laughs> so I kind of like, I I was kind of getting in my own way. I think. Um, so I'm. It's that's been its own journey of figuring out how to do that while also not getting distracted by trying to make a second career or something weird like that. I've been I've been I've taken all those sort of routes and I'm kind of all the way back to like 
I'm just going to make music for my context. And every now and then, maybe every other year, I'll try to record something of the best of that music that I think is applicable beyond this context. And then I'm just going to put it out there. I don't need to do anything with it. Just put it out there and it's available. So that's kind of where my long journey to what that's looked like for those two areas, my ministry and kind of as a musician craftsman. What I find so fascinating about this is you're, it sounds to me like you're describing the opposite of a mass consumption, mass production model of music that's pretty watered down uh, theologically and maybe even thematically to appeal to a wide audience. It sounds like you're really something like microbrewery, but for local <laughs> for church music. So it's like you can only <laughs> find this music in, in this one uh, corner of Indianapolis. Um, but... <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Microbrew worship. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> or even homebrewing. But you um, yes. you mentioned to me one time in conversation, considering that you had at one point uh, looked into, out of curiosity, some aspects of the music industry, or that you had had some conversations mm-hmm. with uh, some people in Nashville. And you told me a story about Karen. Can you tell that story again? Or would you be comfortable telling um, that on the podcast? Uh, or no? If you're not, that's well, okay. Well, this is one of I, it's. No, I mean, I think enough people have heard, heard some version of this by now. Becky is actually her name, um, is how it was told to me. And, and this is one of is this is this, uh, you know, lore or completely made up. But I think the idea, I, I think the idea that as it was referred, so I, I, for a time, when I was out in uh, Seattle, we were trying to figure out what we could do for the broader church there. And um, part of that was um, talking about, well, what is the current state? Who The question that we were trying to answer, and this was actually at the beginning, like towards the beginning of the Liturgy Fellowship. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we were trying to figure out what does the church need? And so I actually went to Nashville and met with like three or four people um, just to say, hey, what's going on in the music industry right now? And, um, and the question was, who is leading the future worship of the church? Like, who's leading this thing? Because if you think about it, the main musicians that are writing for the church are professional musicians, and their goal to not get dropped by the music industry is to write songs that people want to buy, listen to, and hopefully play in their churches. Then we're being shepherded by an industry. Yeah, and frightening. It very much, it very much, I mean, they are the pastor of our worship. And very much um, depends on what their values are, are going to be the things that trickle down to us when we're sitting in our congregations on Sunday mornings, hopefully singing to Jesus. So um, I don't mean to get all dark or bleak, but that was sort of the question we were trying to answer is, who is leading this? And if they shouldn't be leading it, who who could? You know, um, And there are really big open questions that we didn't feel like we had any, we were way out of our depth to solve, but we thought we'd at least ask them. So in those conversations, someone brought up Becky and um, they said that they had been in the studio where Becky was brought up, and the idea is that Becky is a um, is a, a woman in her 30s. She drives a minivan, has uh, a handful of kids, is su- is not super happy with her husband, and she is the main target audience, or was 20 years ago, of Christian radio. And so they would ask, okay, this is going well, but maybe this is a little edgy, or this is a little this or a little that. How would Becky feel about this? So what that meant for me coming back was like, well, if it matters what Becky thinks, then actually Becky is the shepherd of the church's worship. 
And that was that was definitely sort of like eye-opening to me. And again, I I think the Lord is actually the shepherd of his worship. I think he's bigger than Becky. And I think he can I think he still works even if people think they're pleasing Becky. I think he still works. So I, I want to say that um, because I think that's cutting jumping to the end where I wouldn't have said that a few years ago. Um, but I, I think that it is one of the things you have to ask the question of what what values, what boxes were being ticked when this song was being recorded. So like, for instance, um, one of the things actually is encouraging to me about praise and worship is that a lot of it is coming out of Bethel or Hillsong or things like that. And there may be, there may be funk there or not, I don't know. But it's built in the context of worship. It's no longer built by, like in the 90s, it was, it was names and bands that would do worship albums or would have one or two worship songs on an album that they hoped would get picked up by churches. Yeah. And I think it was late 90s, early 2000s where Wow Worship came, all these worship CDs came out, and that became the cash cow while CDs were still being sold for the music industry. And they all of a sudden realized, oh, it doesn't really matter if Michael W. Smith sings a song about his life. He needs to sing worship songs. And so that was kind of scary too, because all of a sudden it's like everyone's making worship records, whether they should or shouldn't, they are, because that's what we—that's what's selling. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, so I, I don't. I, the market is one of those things that it gets involved with worship, and you have to start to be really careful. And and it, I mean, and it gets involved. Part of my story is I have stepped more and more back from thinking about doing anything with my music that makes money. Not that money is bad, but it gets in my head. This is very personal, by the way. This is not a principle anyone else should apply to their life. But it gets in my head when I'm writing a song. I don't want to be thinking about how broad people could sing this while I'm writing the song. If it works out, great. That's great. But I don't, I'm not a strong enough person to not have that mess with my brain and my heart. Um, So I I think it, there may be other people like me out there, <laughs> and uh, those are the sort of the dangers of the things that I think I get nervous as a, as someone who cares about where the worship goes in the future for the church. So that's that was a, more than you asked for, but there you go. <laughs> There's a lot to think about there, and I, I I I will you know I really do now. Jesus is directing his church, and he's using all sorts of means, right? I mean, uh, we're just reading this week in Ezra where it's like by the decree of God and um, then by the decree of Darius and Artaxerxes and like he just puts them right in God and then all these other people fell in line um, this thing happened and so like by the decree of God God is shepherd he's shepherd Jesus is shepherding his people um, even if they don't know it even if they think they're trying to please Becky or whatever like so I don't have any real fear or like doomsday about that but I think where wherever it falls within our power to be sensitive and intentional um, we should take that seriously I, I know this is getting perhaps more personal than than you were expecting, but uh, than I was expecting also. Um, you mentioned that fear of uh, becoming enamored with money might um, just it might make the entire endeavor of creating music more difficult for you. I'm wondering if there are any other of those uh, you might call them traps or pitfalls that maybe young worship leaders might be aware of as they're going into uh, this ministry and this profession, what are, what are some things you would caution them about? <laughs> Sheesh. Wow. We don't um, pull punches here, Nathan. We, we ask the tough questions. I love it. I'm, I love it. I'm again, I'm trying to like focus 400 things. Um, 
I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll just stick close to home again for people that are like me. So I'm not speculating about other things. Um, I, I think in general, I want to be awesome, like all the time. I want to be a, a, whatever. I want to be an awesome cook. I want to be an awesome singer. I want to be, I want to have an awesome body. I want to be an awesome lover. I want to be, I want to be all awesome at every single, like I just, and I, and I want people to love me. Then you're going to put me up on stage and have me sing to Jesus. Like, who would do that? I, I wouldn't sign me up for that. <laughs> and uh, so I think, you know, the way I think the stage, you know, and I mean that metaphorically and literally, the stage is a heavy thing for a soul. Um, so I think the first thing I would say to the worship leaders is watch out for persona. Um, I think two years into moving here into Indianapolis, maybe a year and a half, I started just to feel the weight of like, I felt somehow I was supposed to carry the worship of God's people. Like I was supposed to help them worship. I, I didn't want to manipulate their emotions, but I also like I somehow felt some sort of weight to be enough or something. Um, and um, I went to, accidentally went to a conference, you know, one of those things where you're in town. And it's like, oh, this thing is going, I guess I'll go. I don't really want to go, but I'll go. And the Lord just like blessed me and just, spoke to right where I was and it was a it was a thing about addiction and other things and the guy was just saying like persona was the killer. He was a pastor, he was addicted to cocaine and prostitutes and was and then would go preach a sermon like just a mess. Wow. Um and persona was like the the was right at the core of it. And that is like where you have something that God's given you and then you you amp that up. You amp up a certain piece of you that people like, and you tamp down other things that maybe they don't like. And you create an image of your, it's yourself, but it's a caricature of yourself. And doing that at all is dangerous. It's dehumanizing. It's not who we are. But doing that with worship scares scares the pants off of me. Like, it, it's it's very easy to do. In fact, it's I have to work not to do it. Um, so I think that's probably the first thing is like, for me, the antidote to that is being really well-known. I need people to know that I'm a jerk. I need them to know that I'm self-centered and, 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 I, and I, I'm, you know, clumsy or whatever. All those, I need them to know the full picture of who Nathan is, you know, um, so that when I step up on stage, I'm not a caricature. So it, not everyone in my community can know me, but we have a community group. We have people that do. And for me, that helps keep me uh, just being a dude who God has called up to you know, strum the guitar while other people sing, as opposed to some other thing that I built up in my mind. That's probably the, would be the first and biggest that I would say. Uh, maybe the second would be, we tend to be attacked in our area of gifting. And um, so people that are um, that gifted, even being sensitive in the spirit or, um, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this, but I think watching out for things that would destroy uh, so you know um just areas of sin that like whether it's sexual sin or addictions or things that you go to for comfort like man uh, uh they they tend to come in and like just hit the very thing that god wants to make beautiful and so to 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 watch out for those things and to walk in the light and i, I you know i almost want to take Paul's words out of context and say, well, you know, or uh, James's words out of context and say, you know, you know, those who are uh, shepherds will be judged, you know, with more criticism or twice as hard or whatever it is I'm like yeah. right now. But, you know, taking that but saying like, wow, those who go up on stage or those who lead in a church or those who lead anywhere, like, whew, watch out. Um, our souls will only have a certain amount of capacity. 
um, before we start to believe our own hype. And um, so... Well, I have to say, uh, that verse is actually something that Colin and I have talked about. Not that with our uh, podcast size, we would ever have <laughs> the threat of believing our own hype, <laughs> but uh, rather that, you know, being the, uh, producing this podcast has made us uh, have some serious conversations about uh, being very careful about what we do and what we don't say. Uh, on air to people that might be listening. So we're we're not pastors. You're the only one here, Nathan, who's an elder in a church. Um, so we want to be cautious about uh, this role, which which seems to have a little bit more prominence too. So I think there's parallels there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Colin belittles me enough on air that I don't think anyone will. Uh, <laughs> and that's just the tip of the iceberg. They don't they don't experience our actual friendship, if you could call it that. But yeah, this. So much belittling. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so Tyler asked about kind of almost advice for for worship leaders. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the institutional things, some some of which you brought up. But you talked about how you talked about the industry, um, and you talked about focusing on your own context, and yet at the same time you mentioned how. There is this kind of neb, yeah, this nebulous industry that's listening, mm-hmm. that's thinking about Becky. Was Becky your name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 that's what's leading the church. And you were sort of like, well, and I guess my question is like, what what can we do about that? Um, is it to do the sort? Do you think what you're doing is? I'm not saying you presume that what you're doing is a model for other people to follow, but you have obviously looked at this problem, you've seen it up close, and you've said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to contribute to the solution by focusing on my local church, um, pushing, you know, using my gifts and talents for my local church, and, you know, being real cognizant of, yeah, not having a persona and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Is that the sort of thing that maybe could happen uh you know, ten thousand fold over the over the you know in various churches across the the world. I mean, what what sorts of things can a a worship leader in a church of a hundred or two hundred people do to help be a part of maybe the solution to what I think many would agree is a problem? It's a problem that there's this industrial machine that is making music for for Becky. What what might some solutions be? Is it is it is it for these people to kind of pay attention to their own context? Is that is that one of the answers you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, okay, let me see if I can hang on to all those. Those are great. Yeah, it was questions. a very co- um, yeah, no, good. question. Um, no, it's great. I'll give a rambling answer. Um, I think the I think the first. Um, I kind of want to zoom out and say that the question is who else could write songs for the church. Let's talk about just where the songs come from. Yeah. Let's do that first. Um, so I think if I, I I would say that when I really I did not like worship music in the church at all. Like I said, I skipped it when I first started following the Lord. So hymns were actually what brought me into like one step closer of like, oh, wait a second. Like I remember, so I drove out to, so I drove out to Seattle three days in the car, got batty enough by myself that I'm talking out loud to myself, praying out loud. It was wonderful, amazing trip. And um, I get to worship at this, you know, this old sleepy little church, 60 years old, um, but it was where a friend of mine was. So it was the only place I knew to go. And also we started singing hymns. And like I said, we didn't sing a bunch of those at the church where I went. And for, I think for the first time I was like, uh, that's kind of how I pray. Like, I don't know where you are and this is kind of a hot mess and I love you anyways. Like, 
That's like what a lot of hymns talk about. I, 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 could, I can sing that because up till then, it felt a little bit, it felt shallow to me, to be, to be quite honest. It felt shallow to me. It felt like singing, um, you know, Hallmark cards to my wife to tell her how I really felt. Like I, I wouldn't want to sit across from the table at a moment where tears are dripping in my faces and read a Hallmark card to my wife. I'd want to, it, it needs to be way more raw than that and way more real than that and way more nuanced than that. And so um, hymns did that for me for the first time. So how are most of those hymns written? Well, a lot of them were written by pastors who never mm. intended to put music to them. They wrote verse, you know? And um, so there's the first stop is like, okay, well, where's the content coming from? Um, and I'm not saying that, I mean, I, I like modern music with the verse and a chorus and the things like that, that, that aren't just like, oh, I, I wrote this to Common Meter. Like there's, there's good things that have happened in music I don't want to throw away. But the idea that... Um, that pastors would start thinking of themselves as writers, or that the writers within the church, whether they're pastors or not, would start thinking of themselves as hymn writers, um, would be an interesting, that would be an interesting thing to explore. Um, assuming that a person is going to have all the skills to write really good writing and put that into really good melody and music, um, that doesn't have to be that way. And it really wasn't up till like the Beatles. Like, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's happened with the idea of like, well, I should be able to write my own songs and do, and that's great. I'm, I'm of that. I, that's, I, that's where I am. That's, I'm part of that culture. But for a long time, lyricists were not the same person writing the music. Um, so I think that would be one point is just saying, how do we cultivate people who are writing verse for the church? Um, then I, I think, th so, I, so that's part of it. I, I, I think since we don't have a, just this overwhelming culture of writers for the church and the people that do write for the church right now are usually singer songwriter musicians sort of things or collectives then the next thing would be how to how do we encourage the people that are writing for the church to um like grow in their depth of their of their biblical knowledge and of their understanding of uh, the church and the kingdom and what god is doing um i think that we tend to think of writing songs or being a musician for the church as something you do when you're younger. And, uh, and I think that a lot of young Christians who are musicians think I've got to be a Christian music star. Um, and that's sort of like weird, like this is that, that's what kind of they're told to do. Like that's mm. your, if you have this gifting, that's your pathway. And I would love to see people that really, um, the church, tell its musicians and or songwriters this is not your identity like you have you can make music and you can write songs but like there's probably not enough churches to support all the songwriters that are out there so how do you have someone work really hard at a craft like let's just change it into like pottery how do you have someone feel like i've been really gifted as a potter i should practice that every day even though it doesn't pay my bills right <laughs> how do you cultivate that with musicians it's probably never going to pay your bills now write for the church and work on your craft I don't know how to, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you more problems than answers, but I think that that's, you know, I mean, you know, uh, William Cooper is one of my favorite hymn writers. He suffered from depression his whole life. Basically, he was pulled under the wing of John Newton, who kept him from committing suicide, I, I think, multiple times. Um, if you Google him, his name comes up. He's like wearing his like head, like pajamas, basically, uh, because when they came to do a portrait, he just couldn't get out of his pajamas. Um, like, and yet he would write verse and he would write, he would write hymns. And they're some of the best, richest hymns that I, that I've found. Um, 
Fanny Crosby was, you know, was was blind, not born blind, but uh, became blind because they tried to heal something and put a, a poultice on her eyes. So I think at age five or six, and it backfired. Um, she would have she would have pastors come. They would pastors would like be coming through the area and they would visit her, and they would have a riveting conversation. And she would come out of that and write a song. <laughs> and uh, and so they loved talking to her because she just loved Jesus, and she would just put it right. So I, those people weren't getting rich off of their verses. They weren't necessarily known like superstars. So I don't know how to cultivate that, but to me, that's the nut to crack, is how do you get the church to no longer make creating worship songs and taking it seriously as like, I've got to have this, I've got to be a superstar, as opposed to like, it's just part of my calling because God gave me these gifts and I'm in the church. I don't know. Does that help at all? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does help. I mean, there, to be fair, there is there is not some answer you were going to give that's going to be like, all right, great, we got it. Everybody, go do that. <laughs> you know, all right. I'm I mean, these are these are going to be problems that were were the answer to the problem is always going to be kind of more discussion of the problem in a lot of respects. You know, these are just things that we're always going to wrestle with until Christ comes again. Well, I think for your second uh, your side hustle, you can uh, create an ebook about how to solve the problems and then sell it for $10 a piece and make go. a killing. You won't solve the problem, there but you go. <laughs> you'll do fine. I won't solve the problem. <laughs> I have a, actually a successful, a very successful musician friend and he, um, he, yeah, he, he's, he's, he wrote a book and that that's part of his, that's part of his bread and butter. So yeah, there you yep. go. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, do you have any questions for us before we conclude this interview? Ah, uh, let's see. Or admonitions or uh, any. <laughs> <laughs> Criticism about well, the way we dress, you know, anything. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I know this is not what you're asking for, but I'm really, I, I think I'm thankful for any venue like this just to have a conversation um, and for people to be talking. You know, I think I get a lot of, as a, as a worship leader, a lot of people like throwing off sort of like dismissive comments to, to one or the other, to people that, you know, just play hymns to an organ or people that, you know, just want to do K-Love at their church or what, you know, and people just throw stuff off like that. But I never have a, without completely boring someone, a thoughtful conversation about, let's actually talk about the music culture of the church, where it could be in 20 years. Where are we going? Why are we going there? So I'm grateful that this is happening. Uh, I don't, like I said, maybe, maybe you're just stirring up, maybe we find more problems than answers. And I hope there are some answers to come, but even just looking at it and talking about saying, how do at least be on yeah i'm back to being on guard again but at last at least saying there's something to protect um there's something to reach for and so i I appreciate you guys being a part of that nathan we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, giving us some of your thoughts and and really i think the audience is really going to benefit from them and i would also suggest to the audience that they do i know you're writing music for your local church but i do strongly suggest they check out (laughs) your music where they can find it. I was in a church which did sing some of your music that wasn't Redeemer Indie, so it did get beyond your church. And man, my wife and I still listen to your music. Uh, Son of God is just uh, one of my favorites. I'm a son of God And love is my Belt that one mm. out in the car when it's on. So. <laughs> yes, thanks. Yeah, thanks for your work, and I encourage. 
I encourage folks to check out your music. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.